one of my best friends, his son had a Zoom mitzvah on <laughs> Saturday. I don't even know what day it is anymore. That's why I'm like, and it was the first Zoom mitzvah in this synagogue. I live in Arlington. I live, did you grow up? You grew up here, right? Yeah. It's in, in Arlington. I live in Falls Church. Okay. And um, oh my God, Jacob was so cute. Like he was doing it in his house. It's like he had his little, he was so cute. But, and then the rabbi uh, was at the synagogue and then there was like 70 of us all zoomed in. Right. And the rabbi had a really good message. He was like, you got, you, he just said, you just have to keep moving forward. You cannot dwell in the past. And it was really powerful, what he said. That's Jennifer Taylor, VP of Industry Affairs with the Consumer Technology Association. And while I chose to start today's episode with an anecdote that I hope inspires both levity and encouragement, the reality for the over 36 million Americans and counting who are facing unemployment is solemn. There is reason for optimism, however, and that's what we get into on today's edition of the podcast. A little more on my guest. Jennifer is involved with a number of important initiatives, including the 21st Century Workforce Council, CTA's Apprenticeship Coalition, and U.S. Tech Vets. Collectively, these fall under a broad area of CTA's technology mission, the future of work. Jennifer and her team also have a huge role each year in planning the focus and agenda for sessions at the CES show in Las Vegas. For the uninitiated, CES is the largest technology trade show in the world, and it seems like every company out there is staking their claim as a tech company these days. Food companies like Impossible Meats are now tech companies. Insurance companies are tech companies. There's automotive tech featuring everything related to driver assistance technology, smart homes including all kinds of kitchen and laundry tech, gaming, AR, VR, MR, and the list goes on and on. Even Hollywood couldn't ignore the call, and CES created a whole track called C-Space for everything related to content creation. As we know from this podcast, creatives and their technical counterparts go hand in hand. But our guests' focus is what makes it all go. The people. Needless to say, we are going to talk about the future of work on today's pod. But first, I want to mention our sponsor, Team People. Now, on recent shows, I've talked about how Team People is plugged into the top brands, networks, government agencies, and IGOs, how they're helping to keep the content pipeline filled by providing top talent to top brands. Well, now they are hard at work with those brands to help chart our way back to work, another topic we're going to be touching on today on the podcast. Well, we've learned new ways to work as this pandemic took hold And now we need to find the right ways to get back to what worked so well before. If you are a creative or a creative craft person in the multimedia industry, make team people a part of your future of work life. They recruit, hire, and manage people in full-time, part-time, and project-based roles for their clients. Their recruiters and production managers will work for you to find the right match. Visit them at teampeople.tv, check out their job board, their new additions regularly, and they might be just the thing you need to find your next work adventure. Also go ahead and check them out on Twitter at TeamPeopleTV. And now, on to my 
Conversation with Jennifer Taylor. The Consumer Technology Association is the trade association that represents the $400 billion consumer tech industry. And we have over 2,000 members that we serve, uh, ranging from very well-known brands like Intel, Microsoft, Google, Apple, to 80% of our members who are small business. And our industry um, supports over 18 million jobs. Now, this was pre-coronavirus. but we support many jobs, millions of jobs, and we're the fastest growing um, aspect of the um, uh, economy, the GDP. And so what we've done at CTA is we've created two member groups. So I lead the 21st Century Workforce Council. That's one of them. We have over 70 members that are part of this council. And we kicked this off about two and a half years ago. Um, And we came together and we recognized that at the time, we were really challenged with the nation's critical skills gap. What that looked like at that time was we had 7 million open jobs. It's hard to imagine that right now with the dire employment numbers we just saw from the Department of Labor last week. But, you know, we had 7 million open jobs and 6.7 million people looking for work. And uh, many of those open jobs required uh, require um, high skills. Uh, they require yeah. uh, mid to, to high level skills. And so we call that the skills gap. It's a mismatch. Um, so we created the 21st Century Workforce Council to come up with ways that we could address closing this gap and helping our member companies get access to skilled talent. From there, IBM was a member, is a member, and they approached me um, about a year and a half ago and said, hey, Jennifer, we have this amazing apprenticeship program. We right. make it available so that people uh, can access what they call new collar jobs. Their former CEO, Ginny Rometty, coined that. She's famous for that. And um, they said, look, we're willing, willing to open source our approach for how we hire and seek apprentices, all of our frameworks for these new collar jobs. So those are jobs that are in software engineering, data analysts, um, but also in non-tech roles like human resource managers or marketing managers, things like that. So they came to CTA, offered to co-manage, co-lead an apprenticeship coalition. And we have over 30 members on that. And we launched it at CES, um, at CES 2019, um, where we were so honored to have Ginny Rometty as our keynote speaker. Um, the CEO of IBM, and she was joined uh, with five different apprentices that have uh, been through their program. So the goal of the Apprenticeship Coalition is to help tech companies uh, learn how to create an apprenticeship program and scale them for these new collar jobs. Um, Apprenticeships are so um, known for being associated with uh, blue collar trades, and we're starting to see a shift there. So we're really working to teach uh, the tech industry the value of apprenticeships and encourage them to build and offer these uh, programs so that Americans can access these these high paying jobs. Well, I think that's so incredible and admirable, upskilling workers and essentially providing people pathways to 
a new life through through their work. People can find meaning in their work. They can also, like I said, just provide more opportunity, not only for themselves, but for you know their kids and for future generations of their families. So that's awesome. I Something that struck me that I read that I was not aware of, companies, uh, Apple, Google, Netflix, Tesla, these companies, they no longer require four-year degrees as a prerequisite for employment. So just switching gears a little bit, in this ever-changing landscape of the American tech sector, Mm -hmm. in your opinion, is college a prerequisite? Is it necessary? So all these companies had that as a baseline just to have your resume seen. And what they realized is by doing that, they were cutting off access to some really skilled talent. Now, to answer your question, um, you do not need a college degree today to have access to um, jobs that uh, provide family sustaining wages. There are other pathways into these jobs, other educational pathways like apprenticeship, which we can talk about in a little more detail. So that's not to say a college degree isn't valued, but it's not the only way you can get access to um, new collar jobs or high paying jobs. And, and, um, and it's important to talk about that because there's still a stigma about apprenticeship, for example, that that's just for blue collar trade. That is false. Um, that's a great way to access jobs. And, and so ways to learn about apprenticeship programs, um, if if I may, I'll touch on that. I would recommend that uh, people tap into their community colleges because a lot of times community colleges will provide the um, educational component. Um, we call it RTI, the required training instruction that's required in an apprenticeship program. Um, so usually, not usually, but many times community colleges offer that piece. So that's a way to learn about them. Or you can go to employers that you're interested in and see if they have apprenticeship programs or internship programs. But basically what these companies found was that, especially for um, IT-related roles, what they're looking for is people who have a little bit of aptitude, a little bit of knowledge that they have demonstrated that they have interest in, let's say if they're software engineers, that they've taken a boot camp class uh, course, or they took online learning, or they self-taught, or they built their own computer, lots of Student, right. A lot of young people are doing these things. So if you can demonstrate that you have an interest in it, a company is willing to train you on the specific skills they need because you've demonstrated that you have the curiosity to learn those things. So Amazon Web right. Services has um, a program for cloud computing as well. So, and, and, I, and I know I'm talking a lot about IT-related jobs, but we're seeing other companies provide um, pathways into jobs such as sales and marketing and um, logistics, um, things right. like that. Well, this, this is exactly, this is the crux of what I wanted to talk to you about. You know, more than 33 million Americans as of right now have filed for unemployment. And, you know, even before that, we've been seeing an ever-widening gap in terms of inequality and, and um, a dearth of opportunity for a lot of people and these things, for the most part, are probably only going to be exacerbated by the pandemic. So you, what I really want to kind of hone in on, and we've already done that, is where do American workers, where can they find hope for the future and opportunity? So I pulled this quote from a career strategist off the internet. 
uh, a renowned career st strategist, Carlota Zimmerman. She said, you just have to have an intelligent story prepared as to why you haven't gone to college. Don't be defensive or angry. Just calmly state your case about why you didn't go to college, why you believe your skills experience make you a strong candidate. There's, you know, there's online training platforms uh, like General Assembly. What do you what do you think about a company like General Assembly? Um, yeah, they they're terrific. I think that what your quote is 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 saying is that you don't need to be defensive if you don't have a college degree. What you need to demonstrate again is that you have taken initiative to pursue some online learning, like at General Assembly or some other um, online programs like Udacity or Coursera, um, things like that. And um, this is. This is a little, this is a dire time, especially for our graduating class of 2020. They will forever be known for being the class of 2020. And it's about 3.9 million college graduates coming out um, into one of the worst economic downturns since the Great Depression. And while it seems daunting, I, I do think that there are some glimmers of hope here. And what I would say to uh, recent grads or people coming into the workforce like out of high school, um, whatever point of their lives they're in, don't be afraid to try to do jobs that weren't necessarily in your plan. What's important is take the opportunity to be creative, get on the bus and stay on the bus. I remember I graduated in 1991. It was an economic downturn as well. And my dad said, Jennifer, just get on the bus, start working, start acquiring skills, start building your soft skills, because all of what you do, even if it's a job that isn't exactly aligned with your career path that you had planned, you will find that you're learning transferable mm -hmm. skills. So what I would say to people entering the workforce, try different things like working in retail or working um, as a temp or volunteering, you will learn things that will apply and be relevant on your resume for when your dream job does come to fruition. And trust me, employers and people are going to right. understand and be empathetic for the time period in which you were entering the workforce. It won't be held against you. Back to your quote, you have to demonstrate that you were optimistic, that you were being positive, that you were focused on lifelong learning, and, and and honing skills as you go as you go along. You know, I look back when I came out of school, and I one of the things I did it was really hard to find a job. I wanted to get into the advertising market in Chicago, right. and I was temping with an organization that would place me every week in a different ad agency. So I worked at Leo Burnett, I worked at Foot Conan Building, I worked at DDB Needham. These are all big agencies back in the '90s, and. I was in and out of these places and I got to see different brands, different teams. I honed my PowerPoint skills because I didn't really work on those back in college. So you've got to make the most of every situation. You just have to, and it won't be held against you. People getting out of college, they're facing these huge obstacles. You also have people who are looking to start new careers or transitioning. Even if the job market isn't isn't where you want it to be as a graduate, if you just get involved and get your hands dirty, you're gonna find mm -hmm. you're gonna find people, you're gonna find you're gonna find causes that resonate with you, and you'll you will find your way. So 
Yeah, can I add to that for a second yeah, too? Yeah, please. Um, you know, it's not a race um, to get into, you know, your, your career that you're aspiring for. But I, I've got to say, I read in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend, um, an article about what the class of 2020s um, is facing as they enter the workforce. And they quoted um, a study in Emory University, 15 year old study. And it said that grads who enter the workforce during a downturn over time were very much more significantly happier with their jobs compared to those who entered during a boom. Um, so what that says to me is that when people are coming um, into the workforce in an economic downturn, they're like you were describing, they're really looking for things that they want to do. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I know people who started careers as in, you know, thinking they wanted to be attorneys and then they found out that wasn't really what they wanted to do. Um, or they went into engineering or into sales roles and then they found that that's not exactly what they wanted to do. So um, yeah, again, it's it's a tough time, but I would say take this time to be creative and try new things. And it's okay to also job jump. Um, actually, the article also said that people who jump in, uh, change jobs frequently in, in their 20s, let's say three or four times, actually mm. um, experience larger increases in their pay. Because sometimes when you move, you, it gives you an opportunity to get a pay increase. So that these are just a couple of little um, of the positives of, of coming into a, a work workforce uh, during an economic downturn. Since you mentioned attorneys, I thought I would bring this up. I read an article you penned for a, an online business publication, and you mentioned the book Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. I just so happened this book came across my purview. It was lent to me by a friend and I read it actually just last week. And if nothing else, the book just speaks to, well, for, for one of the many things it speaks to is the impermanence of industry. This man, the man who wrote it, J.D. Vance, he grew up um, largely in Middletown, Ohio and in parts of Kentucky. And these places were ravaged by automation and outsourcing of jobs. I should mention he ended up getting out of these towns and he ended up going to Yale and then writing the memoir. Now that I think about it, the, the, the book that I'm currently reading, I don't know if you've read this one, but it's called Mrs. Fletcher by Tom Parada, who also went to Yale, same as J.D. Vance. So I guess my only point is if you're looking to get a job at Apple or Google, you don't necessarily go to need to go to college, but if you're looking to get a job as an author, you should probably go to Yale. But my, my question is, right. My question <laughs> is th there is this, there is an imp impermanence and tech is such a, such a rapidly changing environment, but the jobs that were tech jobs 10 years ago, by and large don't even exist today. So you already have talked about closing this, this skill gap, but I would like to hear if possible you expounding upon that a little bit more and how do we make sure that the jobs that are people whose jobs are getting pushed out can get the new skills to stay relevant and stay, uh, you know, vital members of the workforce. Well, I love your reference 
to hillbilly elegy. I don't know if you saw in my article that I actually was born in Middletown, Ohio. And my father was an executive at Armco Steel where his grandfather worked in the steel plant. I, if I were in my office at work, because we're remote working, I could show you his hard hat because the executive had hard hat. Can I ask you, did you, did you get a job at the Dillman's grocery store? No. So I did not, but I know exactly where it is. So you have okay. to understand I'm 50. I was born in 1969 in Middletown. Um, and J.D. Vance was born in 1983. I had a very different experience, um, childhood experience, than, than J.D. had. Um, uh, Armco Steel was an international company, and they owned steel plants around the world. So I was born, and then we moved immediately to Barcelona, Spain, and then Paris, France. I came back to Ohio when I was 10. Um, but what's interesting is we ended up moving away in 1983 because my dad saw that the steel industry was... Um, was really um, not doing very well. Um, and so we moved uh, to Michigan. My dad went into um, the tech sector, ironically. That was the year that JD was born. And when you see an industry, um, you know, failing, and when you see um, a corporate headquarters moving outside of a city where those taxes from the workers are so vital to fueling the economic uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the economic area, the city, it's, it's just detrimental to see, to see the carnage, the damage. And then, you know, Certainly. as you saw in the art, in the book too, as you read, you know, huge opioid addictions, um, in, in that area right. as well. But anyway, that is a great book. I highly recommend everybody read it. Um, it will share with you that no matter who you are, you've, You've got, if you, if, you, if you take the time to be focused on yourself, continue to push yourself and focus on lifelong learning, um, you can continue to grow. Jobs are constantly changing. Every job is changing. I don't care if you're in marketing, you know, when I, 30 years ago, there was nothing, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't social media. Uh, there wasn't social marketing. Um, even uh, yesterday, we were talking, we had a webinar with Secretary Scalia. He's the Secretary of the Department of Labor. He's an attorney. He said there were things that uh, were done in the legal industry 20, 30 years ago that aren't, that are very much automated today, like, you know, document right. searches and things like that. So nothing ever stays the same. I tell my team this all the time. The one thing that's um, constant is change. And boy, have we had a significant amount of change uh, this past two months. Um, but what's important is for people to recognize that lifelong learning is imperative. You have got to keep learning new skills. The beauty with the internet is you can do it digitally. It is Certainly. so important that people keep reading, read, read, I read the newspaper, find books, expand your mind, um, focus on working in teams and your team building skills and your soft skills. What tech companies tell me, um, you know, while working at CTA is that it's the soft skills that are in the highest demand that they have in highest demand. They say they can teach you the technical skills, um, right. but it's those soft skills you know, showing up on time, having emotional intelligence, um, asking others how you can help, asking if you can do more. Those are what is so valuable. And the other thing I'm going to just share is in a time like this, when we're in a, in a state of a, you know, of a pandemic, 
Um, you know, when you're in a state, when you're facing a crisis, sometimes that is when you see so much innovation and we're going to see companies embracing uh, more cultures of innovation and thinking differently about why and how they do things. And so I would also inspire people if they've got a business idea or whatnot to, um, to innovate around it. And remember, it's okay to fail, you know, leaders, yes. you know, innovators fail many times before they succeed. So um, yeah, I, there is an impermanence in tech. I like how you said that things are always changing. So just a, Adapt to this concept of lifelong learning, hone in on your soft skills, read, and just, you know, get yourself, you know, get yourself on the train and start working somewhere. <laughs> I love that. You know, I mean, YouTube is almost like an open source. You can go there in the other novel, I should say the other book I mentioned, the eponymous character is taking classes at the local community college. There's so many ways to keep your learning to just be constantly engaging and, and getting new skills, no matter what the circumstances. I guess the next thing I want to talk about is in this, in this epoch we find ourselves in, where we've seen workflows have to shift drastically, what are some of those shifts you've observed at CTA and maybe in some of the other member groups? things you've been talking about and what of those, what of these kind of changes, these, these shifts that have been necessitated by this pandemic, do you think will, will still remain once things start to settle and we begin to find that new normal? The future of work is now. It's not in the future anymore. And I always define the future of work as it's disruption with the worker, the work and the workplace. And we have seen right. all of that. And mm -hmm. so what are the changes that we're going to see, that we're seeing now? I put them in four buckets. And the first one is the way um, we work is just gonna be different. It's just, it already is. We're using more digital tools. We're being more efficient in how we communicate. I read somewhere that, um, you know, a meetings can now be handled in an email, an email can now be handled in a Slack or a, you know, instant chat. Um, you know, we're going to, the way we do things is going to be different. Uh, so we're, we're going to be more efficient. We're going to use more digital tools. We're going to see more trust between our um, employees and, and management. We're also going to see companies invest in their workforce more. We talked about the needs for upskilling and reskilling workers. Absolutely imperative that employers take role in, take a role in that. We've been talking about that for so long, but now they really need to. If they need certain skills, they've got to collaborate with schools, universities, boot camps, um, whatever the uh, the educator is, whoever the educator is, to make right. sure that those those um, education institutions or pathways are teaching the skills they need. They've got to invest in future workers also in um, their current workers. And companies like Walmart are doing such a great job with this as, as an example, so is IBM. Um, and the other thing is, um, so not only are we going to see companies invest in their, their workers, we're also going to see cultures of innovation. Companies are now at a point where they can't just keep doing things the way they always have. How many articles have we seen about companies pivoting and 
looking at ways they could provide value. Panera, look at all these um, restaurants that now are sitting on, because we have our supply chain is broken now and right. more people are eating at home. So now we have all these restaurants and you know retailers sitting on groceries, if you will. So they're reinventing how the offerings that they're making and selling products directly to consumers. We've seen Ford and GM have to retool and they've stopped manufacturing cars and now they're manufacturing PPE. Great story about Ford, how within five days, they went from a concept to a prototype, deter, identified right. their suppliers and produced PPE for and delivered it to a right. hospital within five days. So this article that I read about that was written by John Stoll. He's a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. He said, we've got to see companies take that culture of innovation and apply it to what their core competency is. So apply it right. to the um, development of electronic vehicles, for example. Right. So I really think now companies are like looking and digging in deep and saying, hey, yeah, this is what we do, but we have to pivot and really in this new world, ask ourselves, why are we doing this? How can we deliver value? And how can we do it differently? And how can we do it in a more safe manner? And then the last area where I feel like we're going to see change is we are going to see a rise in automation. And that's okay. We're going to see a rise in industrial robotics, you know, for example, you know, to clean, um, clean spaces. Um, robotics often take the place in machine learning of jobs that are become the four Ds. They're dull, they're dangerous, they're dirty. And the last one is deer, like it's just something very fragile. So you want to make sure you take care of it very carefully. So the reality is, yes, there will be some jobs that change. The nature of those jobs will change. Some will be displaced. Um, That's why it's important for businesses and educators to collaborate and make sure they're uh, providing training for um, jobs that are in demand and providing the right skills set. So, um, yeah, we're going to see a rise in automation. It's just the reality of things. Um, we want to make sure the workplaces are safer um, and virus-free. So you're going to see more of that in manufacturing and fulfillment centers. That's also illuminating. And it's, it's, it's astounding to see what people, what groups of people are capable of when their backs are put up against the wall. That Ford example you mentioned, I mean, people are are fully capable, we as a society are full, fully capable of innovating and changing on a dime, seemingly. But when things are going well and there's no there's no reason to, a lot of times people, you know, they really, they need to be forced yeah. or put in a situation where, you know, it's a, adapt or die. Yeah, or it's, it's true. Just it's the innovate or die. Gonna... Um, and many times a crisis will fuel change and drive innovation because you're at a level of desperation, if that makes sense. So it will Certainly. force a company or a person to think differently. So Jennifer, some of the tech companies that we mentioned earlier, companies like Google and Netflix and Apple, they haven't uh, they they probably haven't been affected. I mean, if the stock market is any indication by everything that's going on the same way so many Americans have, are these companies, am I wrong in that assumption? Are these companies still growing? Are they still hiring? Are there opportunities out there for workers in the tech sector? Well, here's what I can tell you. I think that 
there's definitely been a little slowing of, of hiring and onboarding new people right now. However, um, we talked about the skills gap and the skills gap isn't going away due to COVID. If anything, it's going to be more exacerbated because with more people working remotely and that's going to stick like today, Twitter announced that people who want to work from home forever can work from home. You know, they tweeted that out today. So we're going to see more people working from home. And what that means is you're going to need more IT desk support, more networking, more cyber, uh, people who know those roles, um, software engineers, privacy, people who can, you know, like again, in cyber, cloud computing. So you're going to see more uh, demand for, for those uh, type of roles. In fact, even um, my member companies are telling me that they have a need for those uh, roles, but then also Glassdoor, this was published in the Wall Street Journal this weekend, um, indicated that uh, there are the, the top uh, number of open jobs are in software engineering, also in, in healthcare um, as well. It's not a linear, it's not a linear process. You know, a career is a, is a, a tortuous journey, uh, unless you want to be an author, in which case you just go to Yale, I guess, and then you write your book and you're a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> but, you know, I would tell you J.D. Vance, J.D. Vance didn't have a linear path, you know? He went to the Marines, and then he went to Ohio State, and then he went to law school. And he, You're didn't absolutely think right. he, he didn't think he had the chance to do that because he said he didn't have social capital. So how do you gain social capital? Start interacting with others, volunteering, associate yourselves with people that you want to be like, get a mentor, get a mentor. There's so much you can do. And I know it sounds like a lot if you feel like you're in a state of inertia, but, but people will help you. People I, help I couldn't you. agree more. And, and, and one of the parts of that book that resonated so much with me is you mentioned finding people that you want to learn from, or even finding people who finding new people. I mean, when he actually got to Yale and he talks about meeting, being exposed to all these different new perspectives and people with completely different life experiences and how that broadened, that broadened his horizon so considerably, that was just a cool, that was a really cool part of the, part of the book for me. Okay. So we're winding down now. We're just onto the fun stuff. So I'm just going to ask you some, some cool, interesting, maybe, uh, Questions. So the first one, I did this one on the last episode. If you had a magic vending machine, what would be in there? Books. 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 Yes. Okay. So let's let's just get right into to books. So what? I'd love to hear what you've been reading. Um, maybe the past uh, anything that that you've read recently that really spoke to you or you found particularly interesting. Yeah. Um... You know, I reread Grapes of Wrath last summer. Yes. And wow, that was a book that I, you know, struggled through when I was in high school. Like, okay. Right. And then we had to watch the movie. And I decided to reread it. And I'm a big Steinbeck fan, but the book is really right. big. And yeah. boy, did it resonate with me. It has so many, so many parallels. Um, with what we're experiencing today. Um, and mm. for those of you who don't know the story of Grapes of Wrath, um, it is about the uh, migrant workers uh, from, the, from Oklahoma that went to um, Monterey area, California, 
right. during the depression and we're seeking work and our supply chains mm -hmm. were broken. And I'll never forget, there was a chapter that Steinbeck talked about oranges just rotting on the fields of, of, of a farm. And you have all these workers dying to work and get an honest living for their work. Um, right. But because there wasn't demand for oranges, because we had isolated our trade and we didn't have free trade uh, during that time, there was no demand for the oranges and therefore the farmers didn't need the workers. And it just was so broken. Um, right. But I am a huge Steinbeck fan. I love reading. I, I just am constantly reading. I have stacks of books everywhere. My, I still like to read a, a good book, like a a hardcover book or a paperback yeah. book because we're so right. digitally focused that I need yeah. a break sometimes from screens. So um, I've reverted back from digital reading to um, reading books, uh, paperback and, and, and hardback, uh, physical books. And right now I just started, I just cracked open My Dear Hamilton and it's a story about Eliza Hamilton. So um, just in the second, third chapter of that and and that would be in my vending machine. Okay, here's a here's a really hard one. Favorite dessert? Creme brulee, and I love whipped cream on top of that. That's a good <laughs> creme brulee. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. <laughs> Jennifer, I think you're off the hook. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This information was so enlightening. I feel I feel better knowing it, and I'm hoping that anyone else who is feeling any degree of uncertainty right now can get something from, you know, it, a, a little hope from, from, cause, cause there is going to be a lot of opportunity, I think. And, and I appreciate you shedding, shedding some light on, on all that's out there right now and, and, and what will be in the future. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll just uh, end by saying for anyone listening and if you are coming into the workforce for the full, first time, or if you know somebody who is, I hope that, that, they can remain optimistic. Again, try something new, get on the bus. You can change your mind. You can try something new. This is the time to do it. You will be forgiven for it. It will not be held against you. Um, you know, we're not gonna have a V-shaped curve going right back to normal, but we're gonna have a swoosh. This is the lead story on the Wall Street Journal today. We're gonna have a swoosh, uh, like a Nike swoosh. And so it's gonna take a little time to get us back up there, but Americans are resilient. I believe in the future. I believe that we are going to persevere. Americans always do. We've got to look forward. And um, I always tell young people, I can't wait to see where they are in the future because everybody's future should be bright. And that was my conversation with Jennifer Taylor from CTA. And I couldn't agree more. Everybody's future should be bright. Now, I'm going to put some cool CTA-related links and other assorted goodies in the episode notes. So be sure to reference those if you'd like. I want to thank our sponsor, Team People. Like I said earlier, check them out on Twitter, at Team People TV. Check out their job board online, teampeople.tv. That's their website. The dot is right there before the TV. So that is a small curveball in there for you. And if you're interested in checking out past episodes of the podcast, they're all right there for you on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to engage with us further, you can email me at creativepursuitspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And also please look us up on Instagram. We are there at creativepursuitspod, at creativepursuitspod. And that's it for this episode. 
This has been the Creative Pursuits Podcast. I am your host, Alex Crow. Thanks for being with us. Until next time.